Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. Another week. We made it. Derek Peterson here, as always. I'm going to be doing something a little bit different this week. I kind of did this once before, and I really liked the way it turned out, so I'm going to do it again. Um, We've got people with the Hail Varsity flag everywhere. Um, Brandon Vogel is in his usual uh, spot in Tennessee. Greg Smith is currently sitting across the table from me. Um, we're going to talk recruiting with him. Aaron Sorensen and Kyle Cardell are in Omaha for the Big Ten Baseball Tournament. Mike Babcock is coming to the office in like 40 minutes to join the podcast. So I'm going to have Greg Smith on. I'm going to have Brandon Vogel on. And I'm going to have Mike Babcock make his podcast debut. We finally did it. We finally got him here. Um, going to have Brandon in like 20 minutes. Going to have Mike in like 40 minutes. So I'm going to do 20 minutes with uh, three MVPs, I think. Three MVPs. We're going to start with Greg. We're going to talk a little recruiting. We're going to talk touch on Dedrick Mills with Brandon Vogel. And then we're going to talk baseball um, and a couple other things with Mike Babcock coming up later. But first, it's my guy Greg. Hello. I need somebody to talk to you about the Red Wedding. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so great. And I've had, now this has happened to me a couple of times now. It's super interesting because the same thing happens each time. What I mean by this is having a friend watch the show later, waiting patiently until they get to the Red Wedding, and then watching their incredible reaction. It's it was, amazing because it happens every single time. It, I mean,. So I started watching Thrones last Monday, and I am now, currently, as of recording this, I'm on episode five or six of season four. So I just saw, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched it, because I feel like I'm the only one, so I think I'm okay. Uh, I just saw Joffrey choke and die. Oh, you just saw that. Okay. I I I couldn't remember. I was going to actually go and look to see where you were and what hasn't happened yet, so I I didn't make sure to I clapped and cheered. Okay. Jamie Lannister has had his kind of character arc, and now I like him again. Yep. Um, well, not again. I didn't like him in the first place. As expected. Yeah. Um, but the it's Red so Wedding, amazing. dude, it was... Arya was so close. She was so close. <laughs> I just want the Starks to be together. I just want them all to be a family again. So it was amazing. so close. And everyone has the same experience. I just, it's just so great. It was so painful. So I just great. spent... I spent literally like... So that scene, what, took maybe two or three minutes of time? And somebody asked me, like, did you see the signs heading into it? And I'm like, no, but I should have. No, I didn't see the signs. Yeah, looking back on it, now you're like, okay, I probably should have noticed. But, yeah, when you're watching it, you don't notice. When they started playing the Reigns of Castamere, well, when Catelyn started acting weird. Yeah. And I was like, all right, something bad is about to happen. And then they played the Reigns of Castamere, and I'm like, please no. Please no. And then I was not expecting... The baby thing. Yeah. That was too far. That was too far. <laughs> I considered far. stopping the show dead right there. They keep killing animals, and it keeps making me mad. But that was too far. 
So too I, far, I, man. Would you say that too? Because um, I, there's a period there where we lost Kim and watching my wife and watching the show because of the animal killing, and we had yeah, there was some interesting and then stuff the, there. Yeah, not okay. Not okay. I still I and I went to. back and rewatched that scene um, after the, the series just ended, and it's kind of crazy too because I'd forgotten the part where sorry, spoiler alert, where Cat is like, "Hey, I got your wife by the throat," and he's like, "Eh, whatever, do you?" Yeah, he's like, "I'll get a new one." I'm like this, <laughs> he's cold blooded. I know. <laughs> That's amazing. I am I'm try, I'm trying so hard to censor myself right now, but when I watched so that episode, great. I was just yelling expletives at the TV. So great. Yep. It was no. It was not great. It it's, was terrible. It's great TV. It was horrible. It's excellent. Television. I don't think I've ever seen something like that. Remember, <laughs> after I watched the first season and yeah. the big death that happened in the first season, and I, I looked at you and I was like, "Oh, so this is gonna be that kind of show?" Yes. Yes, it is definitely. And I mean, what did I say? And I you go, were like, "This is yes, that kind of show." I was not prepared. This is not. This is like nothing I've ever watched before. They're just like, "Oh, main characters, goodbye." Yep. Everyone you know and love. Goodbye. So, real quick, and I don't have that much time with you, but where are where is Daenerys? Where you are right now? She um, is in that like pyramid thing, and was just told that the places that she had previously liberated have now uh, fallen back into okay, like, okay. I, back, like back in the captivity, basically. Yeah, like they're back, back in the, in the slavery. tyranny or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Okay. Yeah, yep, that's where I'm at. Okay. Um, I want Cersei to die. <laughs> Very much. Yeah. She's yeah. worse than Joffrey. Which, it's so crazy, too. And this isn't a spoiler or anything for where you are. Um, Cersei in real life, have you ever seen anything from her? Like, she's awesome. Like, she's out here, like, doing charity work and raising money for different causes and all of this stuff. And she's really funny in real life. Apparently, the cast, like, loves her. So it's so odd to me. And I found this out, like, probably around the time where you are in the show. And it's weird. <laughs> because she's so good at playing I don't care that what character. she does in real life. She's a horrible <laughs> human being. I felt this way about Negan from The Walking Dead. Yeah. Jeffrey Dean Martin or Morgan, I can't remember his last name. Yeah. But that should tell you, I don't care about him anymore. He's a super good actor, yeah. but he's... And yeah. so that's a good it, mark of how you know someone's done a great job, though, too. <laughs> it's like Ryan in The Office crossing somebody off of his list. They're on my list. <laughs> Jeffrey Dean Morgan is on my list. Morgan, I think, is his name. He's on my list. Yeah. Hate him. And Cersei Lannister. It, 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 he could list. cure cancer, and I'd be pissed at them. <laughs> Um, okay, that's enough Game of Thrones talk. Recruiting. Recruiting. Blaze Gunnarsson had his visit to Nebraska. He did. Uh, how did that go? Another another visit to Nebraska. I believe his then third of this spring slash summer. I think he came for a junior day. Came, or came, no, he didn't come for junior day. He came for just a different day where he, Turner Corker, and Xavier Watts were all here the same day for an unofficial visit. He was back for the spring game, and then he was here this past weekend. Things went well again. I think that he's in the final stages kind of, of making the d- decision um, of where he wants to go. There's a chance that another school enters the fray with Nebraska and Iowa State, depending on if he gets any new offers or anything like Don't that. Say fray. Um, sorry, <laughs> um, <laughs> forgot about that. Um, but, but we'll see. I, I still think it comes down to Nebraska and Iowa State. I think Nebraska's in a really good position, um, especially considering he's from the state of Iowa. Has a brother that walked on to Iowa State, um, but they've done a really good job with his recruitment, kind of selling him on playing outside linebacker in their three-four defense. Um, Eric Shenander is his lead recruiter, um, so I think that he'll come back. 
for what should be an official visit sometime this summer. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of juggle these official visits um, because there's quite a few guys, if you notice, it feels like we say this all the time, where this guy wants to make a decision before his senior season. He wants to make a summer decision. He wants to take summer officials. Um, I feel like there's almost more guys that have that that ha- that have said that than official visit slots left <laughs> for Nebraska. Um, so we need to explore that a little bit. Does that hurt Nebraska when a lot of their strategy for using official visits is to get guys here for game days? Um, yes and no. I think that it, because it, it just kind of depends. So like in the case of Blaze Gunnarsson, I don't think it would hurt them because he's been here so many times and he's been here for both spring game and a regular season game and a junior day and a different visit, right? So I don't think – because I think what I'm getting at is I think that if he were to commit, he would be solid in his commitment. So having that early official visit I don't think would be anything too crazy. I would worry more about a guy that, say, comes from Florida or any other state outsider that hasn't been to Lincoln before, comes for a summer official visit, says, okay, I love it, I'm going to commit but then starts taking other visits during the season, right? I think that that would be more of a concern. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think that you have to, part of your strategy, even though they want to get guys here for official visits during the season, it just realistically, you have to plan for having guys come in the summer because there will always be guys now that want to make their decision before their senior season to get it out of the way. But also guys that say that would probably tend to stick with their commitment as well, so you should be okay. Something that you wrote about in your uh, recruiting notebook a couple of days ago was Nebraska kind of getting into Iowa Western Community College a little bit more and kind of the importance that this staff is putting on that. I guess just talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, so Nebraska right now has two guys that they've offered at that school. Um, Jacob Gamble, the offensive tackle, six seven offensive tackle um, that – just got an offer this week. He'll be in Lincoln Saturday, so this weekend. Um, and then Perion Winfrey is a defensive tackle that has just completely blown up um, since Nebraska's offered him. They offered him back right after Tony Tuioti took over the job. And then since then, I think he's picked up Florida State, Alabama, among others. Like, he's just completely blown up. But it looks like that he... Is Florida State still a good offer that should be included? You know, it's really weird to say that because as soon as I said that, I thought about that. Because for me, like, it is, but I don't know that it necessarily is considering Willie Taggart. What's happening? Okay. So so I don't know. So that's a good question because I'm sure there are other people thinking that. Um, But it looks like Winfrey for sure is going to take an official visit to Oklahoma. He'll also be here this weekend for an unofficial visit. Um and so we'll see. Nebraska can hopefully make up some ground there. Um, and when I say make up, I don't think that they're trailing anyone, OU in particular, by a lot. Um, but getting a guy on campus for an unofficial is always good, especially when he's, they're just right across the river in Council Bluffs. But why it's important for Nebraska to recruit that school is it just doesn't make any sense that Nebraska would not tap into one of the best junior college programs in the country consistently year after year that's only, what, an hour and ten minutes <laughs> maybe away? Like, it just it, it doesn't compute when you say that to people. Um, and Nebraska has a relationship going back with Scott Strohmeyer, their head coach over at IWCC. Scott Frost and him are friends. Um, you know that Ryan Held has relationships with everyone <laughs> in junior college. Eric Trenander spends a lot of time there as well. Um, 
Um, actually, Tony Tuioti was out there um, during their spring practices as well. So it looks like Nebraska really wants to make an effort to get back in there. And what I wrote about in the notebook was the idea that Nebraska, to me, needs to be able to recruit junior college as well to cover up for the natural holes that are going to occur in the roster because so many guys have to come from far away that you're eventually going, you're going to have guys that get homesick and leave. Like, it's just going to happen. So what better way to cover up for some of those holes than to have impactful junior college players always coming into the program as well? Doesn't need to be 10 of them, but if it's 3 to 5, I think you're in good shape. Make people happy. Iowa Western is where the, the walk-on center is coming from, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah What's is. his name? Josh Wagner. Josh Wagner. Okay. He, has he, a brother that, he has a brother that is a 2020 recruit as well. forget his name, but he was here for the spring game. What is when does Wagner get here? Should get here some later this summer. I have not gotten a great update on that recently, uh, so I'll dig into that because you brought it up. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I would assume later on this summer. Not that I meant to throw you under the bus or anything. But no, you're fine. Okay. Um, switching gears a little bit and talking more uh, football on the field than recruiting. We had a question in our mailbag this week um, that was basically. I thought it was a good question. The Colorado game will determine Nebraska's season. So the the thought process, and they asked us to agree or disagree, and the thought process was they win that game, and ESPN College game day is coming versus Ohio State. You're looking at an eight-win season. If you lose that, Nebraska's looking at a six-win season at best. Okay. Did you agree with that or disagree with that? Did you answer that question? I you did not answer that believe question. I answered no. that question. No, all right, actually. okay, let's hear this. Um, Boy, that's tough. I actually. Do you want me to give you my answer? You yeah, because I'm actually I'm going thoughts? back and forth. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Give me so, your answer. So this is where I'm at, and this is what I wrote in the mailbag. I I think the Colorado game is not going to be the cakewalk that some people think it will be. I don't think uh-huh. it's going to be um, an easy win for Nebraska just because you know they're emotionally fired up after what happened last year because. It is also a rivalry game for Colorado, and mm-hmm. Colorado is at home, and they will be emotionally fired up as well. I think Nebraska wins that game, but I don't think it's going to be easy. So my thought process, thought process is I think that game determines how the Ohio State game goes, and I think the Ohio State game is what determines Nebraska's season. Because if, if Nebraska wins that Colorado game convincingly, you're 2-0, you've beaten South Alabama, which is – not a big deal, but then you go on the road week two and you beat Colorado. You come home, you beat Northern Illinois. You've got Illinois at home the next week. Then you've got Ohio State. Illinois on the road or at home? It's on the road. It's on the road. I okay. just pulled it up. Illinois on the road, which I think they should win. Um, and then you've got Ohio State coming in to Lincoln uh, after what happened last year. You're 4-0. And if they have – if they controlled the game against Colorado, if they won convincingly – I feel pretty good about that Ohio State game. If they beat Colorado by two or three points, depends on how it looks. If they lose to Colorado, I'm not feeling too good about the Ohio State game. If Nebraska beats Ohio State and gets to 5-0, and everything's on the table. I mean, and I'm talking everything. I think Big Ten title, everything. Put it all on the table. If they lose that game, I don't necessarily think you're looking – I don't think they're going to fail to hit six wins – but I think you could be looking at maybe seven and five, eight and four, something like that. I think I'm more on your side here now. I think that Colorado is a good indicator. It's not a determiner of the season. 
right? I think that that's a good way to think that's about it. it. Um, because I'm with you, Ohio State. Because if you look at it, if if Nebraska beats Ohio State to go to five and zero, and then the next four weeks of the season are home Northwestern at Minnesota, home Indiana at Purdue. If they beat Ohio State, they should win all of those games. Though those are, that group of teams is also any of those teams are capable of jumping up and beating you, which is what makes it difficult in this conference. Um, yeah, I think the Ohio State one is the one that determines the season. And I, I totally agree with you that if they go to 5-0 and beating Ohio State, especially with all of the buzz that will be around that game and all the people that will be in town and all of the, the potential game day stuff, that springboards their season into talking about the type of jump that they had in year two at UCF, which would just be insane. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. But it's, but the but the Colorado game is still very important because I think it's it's really important to be able to control your emotions in that type of game and wanting that revenge. And I think that revenge will come up during that week more so from the players than the coaching staff because I don't think Scott really goes there no. um, at least publicly. Nameless, um, faceless opponent. Yeah, I think he'll. I think that that's. And I still think that that will change when they get good. I'm just going to go on the record for that because Scott, he's got that cocky streak in him. Well, like, so I feel like that's going to come back out when they get good. For now, he's being nice. Yeah. That's what I feel. Quick sidebar on that. I talked to Bill Moose about rivals, and he, he basically said, you can't have a rivalry when you keep losing to somebody. When we start beating teams, then we will have rivals. And he... He mentioned uh, when he was at Oregon and they played Washington, mm-hmm. and they lost 12 straight games to Washington, and Washington did not view them as a rival. They didn't view them as anything. They just viewed them as a doormat. We're just right. going to go beat Oregon again. But Oregon hated that team, and Oregon wanted to win that game. And Oregon made their little switch that they made, and all of a sudden they started beating Washington, and all of a sudden Washington started hating them. Right. So he said, imagine if we were to beat a team like Michigan 12 times in a row. Like, that would be a rivalry then. Yeah. So imagine if, you know, because they haven't beaten Wisconsin in, however many years imagine yeah. if they start beating wisconsin or if they beat wisconsin three three or four straight games yep. it's a rivalry then and then you will start getting i think they'll be a little bit more comfortable talking about I, i'm the glad that you said i'm games. glad you said wisconsin because i think that that's the game that you're most likely to get some hatred and anger from the coaching staffs towards each other yeah and there was that incident with paul chris last year um i just think that the two programs just don't really like each other very much like i think that 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 is right there for the taking nebraska just has to win and i think <laughs> that game not to get too off track but i think wisconsin is uh has better potential to be a long-term rivalry in the Big Ten than Iowa does because I think this coaching staff in particular and this athletic administration respects Wisconsin's program a lot more than they respect Iowa. Yeah, they just – I feel like they – to me, and I think this is from the fan base, the staff, and kind of the players, like I think that people just want to get over the Iowa hump to do it and then be done with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Wisconsin, you'll really feel good about once you beat them. Mm -hmm. The same way that I think Ohio State, I think, is kind of in that same way, where you you want to really feel good about yourself, so you want to beat Ohio State, um, whereas like Northwestern is, we should be beating them. And I think that that's the same right. way that it is with Iowa. And maybe this is some disrespect to Iowa, but Iowa's yeah, eight wins every season. Ohio State, Wisconsin are up there in, in 10 yeah. or 11 wins. It's, that's, more, that's where Nebraska wants to be. They don't want to be with Iowa and Northwestern. Correct. So when you beat those teams, it's like, okay, we were supposed to beat you. I'm glad we beat you. Now we can focus on our bigger goals. the bigger fish to fry right i think that's um more likely 
Okay, I have, we briefly brought this up right before we started the pod. So the expectations situation, because that came up a lot in the mailbag as well, right? Mm-hmm. If Nebraska, because eight wins keep is the number we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. here. It was in the mailbag. If Nebraska gets to eight on the dot, is that a disappointment? No. Because somebody asked us what would be a failure for this season. I said anything less than six wins. Which is, I think, what I said as well. Do you? Okay, so that's what it is for you. Do you think the fan base would be disappointed? I think it depends on how it looks. Okay. I don't think. I think Minnesota is going to be dangerous. I think Purdue is going to be dangerous. I wonder what is going to happen with Northwestern and the quarterback that Mm -hmm. they just brought in. I wonder what's happening with Wisconsin because Graham Mertz looks like a god, I guess, or he looked like a god in the All American game. game. Yeah. Um, It's it, it is wide open. But that also means that you could lose to anybody on any given week. Yep. Um, so if Nebraska comes out of this with five losses, depending on how it looks, like I don't, I don't think that's cause for concern. It's a three-win improvement over the previous season, and, and at the end of the day, this is a year two with a sophomore quarterback. I agree with you. I just think that I, I feel like the excitement level around Frost and Martinez will have fans disappointed if they quote-unquote just win eight even though that would be a doubling just of the win eight i said oh well, sorry you guys can't see this at home there Quarter were air quote, quotes around yeah, that right. just for the record and i don't agree with that um because i also think that depending on how crazy the division is eight could get you to indianapolis maybe you yeah. would feel better about getting to nine <laughs> if you get to nine you feel like you should especially if in that nine you've beaten wisconsin it's crazy Um, how one game changes the way you view like for me i don't think you should necessarily look at when we're talking about seven eight nine wins that's not it how does it look like does it look like the first half of last season in your losses or does it look like the back half of last season like let's say you lose five games and you lose by a total of 15 points in those five games are fans pissed at that I don't think I don't think Probably they should. Be. Yeah, I don't think they should. There'll be some as well. oh, you always gonna have those outliers. But no, I don't think as much. No, but that's a, you said something important because that's the thing that I can't. As we're talking, formulating like these predictions and stuff, I can't figure out like where is this team coming from? Excuse me, in their in their second year of improvement, are they coming from the back half of last season? Because if that's where we think that they really were at the end of the year, like it wasn't some fluke or anything like that, I'm not saying it was, it's pretty reasonable then to expect them to make a big jump to eight or nine wins. Especially considered, again, that's where you factor in how those losses looked, um, especially when you consider that Iowa game, you lose what, by a last-second field goal. Yeah, lost um, by three points. You could have won that game. You four, really could have won that Ohio State game. Um, you really want to go back further than that. The Northwestern game you should have won, too. Um, so, and that's that's what's bugging me a little bit. If they've really made improvements, and like, like I think I said in one of the mailback answers, if they've made a couple of steps from the back half of last season, this is a dangerous team. And I think being dangerous is enough in year two. Agreed. All right, man. Now I'm fired up. Now you're fired up. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to uh, get Brandon Vogel on the line next. Brandon, everybody's favorite Hale Varsity writer, Brandon Vogel. For the first time in a, in a while, I think it, I, I haven't had you on the podcast in a while, man. How you been? It's been good. It's uh, it's nice to peek my head up a little bit from uh, opponent previews, which I'm currently writing for the yearbook. So 
it, it's good to have a break. How are those going? Um, pretty good. I, I like doing them. They, they take a long time, um, at least the way that I want to do them. Takes takes a long time, but it, but it's always kind of a nice reset to to go into summer, having recently like looked at all of well, all of the Big Ten and then Nebraska, also Nebraska's three non conference opponents. So I come out of it feeling like I have a good sense of of what twenty nineteen at least looks like for those teams. Okay, well I kind of told you that I wanted to do this a certain way, and I'm going to invert that because this kind of we can just kind of um, walk right into a conversation about what this upcoming season holds for Nebraska. We had some questions in our mailbag that were basically um, asking about season expectations and is it realistic to expect uh, eight or nine wins? What would a failure for this year be? So uh, for you, having, I guess, been in deep with data um, and statistical profiles for people that or teams that Nebraska is going to play, um, where, do, where do you kind of fall with expectations for this season and um specifically that question that we had that i thought was a really good one what would be a failure this year um would it be six wins i mean do you see six losses on nebraska's schedule because um the way everybody keeps talking about it the west is wide open and yeah that means anybody can win it but that also means anybody can beat anybody on any any given saturday um so where do you kind of fall terms of expectations and and what would be a disappointment for this season yeah i think i think you're getting close to that designation at six and six for for the regular season um nebraska was basically was good enough to be a six-win team a year ago so that would mean you ended up pretty much at the same spot as as year one and, and there are good reasons to expect uh progress in year two so I kind of start there. Um, I, I don't look at the schedule and see six losses, but also, you know, looking at the schedule is kind of based a lot on what teams were, were a year ago, which is all you have to go on. So in years like this, where it looks like it's going to be a pretty tight race in the division, you know, you do open yourself up to that a little bit. Like everybody could play a ton of close games. You get into close games and they become coin flips and, if you get a little bit unlucky, you, you drop some of those that you aren't expected to. So, yeah, I would say I would say six would be based on what I'm expecting for Nebraska would would be a disappointment. Now, you know, there's always context around that, but based on what we know now, six is the number for me. Okay, right. And you brought up context, which I think is important to keep in mind because I, Greg and I were talking about the same exact thing, and I said it's because he he was like if Nebraska's at eight. Um, would people be uneasy with that because they expect more? Would it be better if they were at nine? And I was like, well, it's one win. But I think it's more important to look at it in terms of how does uh, how do the wins look? How do the losses look? If the losses look the way they looked in the first half of last season, I think people are going to be disappointed. But if the losses look the way they looked in the second half of last season, where you lose on a last-second field goal or you lose by four points or something like that, I don't think there's too much reason to be disappointed because at the end of the day this is still a, a a year two under a new coach and a sophomore quarterback do you kind of feel the same way that I feel yeah I, I do you know you know I've talked before about how the 2018 season what kind of felt like a, a year one and a year two mashed together you know if the, the yeah. old coaching coaching chestnut is you know first you lose big then you lose close then you win close then you win big uh, and Nebraska lost big and then started winning and losing close so I don't know if that 
puts us at at year four, the win big stage. I don't think so. I think this is more a year where Nebraska continues to win close, and you know, anytime you, you're doing that, uh, other than Northwestern, who somehow continues to defy the odds, like you're going to split those games most of the time. So that that could be where Nebraska's at, and I think if it is at that spot, it does get to get to around eight wins. Um, and then there's also not just how do the wins and losses look, but do you stay healthy? You know, obviously yeah. losing uh, an Adrian Martinez would, would color everyone's perception of the season. I think losing a tackle would be pretty damaging to Nebraska right now based on what we how we came out of spring practice. So all of those things, you know, can can change what what your designation would be here in May. Most of the preseason magazines are starting to come out. Um, Athlon Sports had theirs out, and Nebraska was the favorite to win the West. A lot of people are pegging them kind of in that same range that you kind of see them with eight wins. That seems to be where everybody has settled. Um, I, I think the justification for a lot of that is Nebraska has the best quarterback in the conference. Um, where do you fall on that? Uh, I think I think it's that, um, although <laughs> – when I keep seeing some Big Ten rankings, it's generally well, Shea Patterson's almost always ahead, which he, he's more experienced. Like I get it. Um, Nate Stanley shows up ahead of Martinez sometimes, and in, in these unit and position rankings. But I think we all agree. Like Adrian Martinez is is the source of a great deal of optimism surrounding surrounding Nebraska going into t- to 2019. Uh, the other part of it is is, is the Frost UCF thing. Uh, you got one more year of like, well, they took a huge jump in year two. Uh, maybe they'll do it again. And it's not that anybody's saying because it happened there, it will happen here. But it does color your perception of that. Um, so I think those two things, and really, I think those are the two best things if you're uh, bullish on Nebraska going into 2019. History shows that those are two pretty powerful factors. And when you look at the rest of the offense, you know, you have question marks at, at the other spots. In fact, if you were, you'd probably rank them a little lower than they were going into last season at wide receiver, running back, and, and offensive line. So you've kind of got those two competing things when it comes to at least evaluating the offense. Right. Well, let's talk about running back next because Nebraska got good news this week. Dedrick Mills uh, is academically admitted to the university. Um, I guess I didn't need academically. He was admitted to the university, um, worked hard over the summer, got it retook a couple classes or took a couple summer classes that um that swapped out poor grades for good grades and he got his gpa up to 2.5 he's in um and he's kind of in around where he expected to arrive on campus i mean he gets on campus this week uh which is when we thought he was going to get on campus months and months and months ago um so he's going to be here for summer workouts for almost the entirety of summer workouts um he's had the playbook for a while it seems like things are maybe on track with him um, to be I, – I think he's going to be a guy that gets first crack at starting running back um, responsibilities when the season begins. How, how big uh, do you see this uh, news from this past week for the offense in 2019? Is it a big deal that they got Mills here when they got him here? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty big deal. Like when setting my own kind of personal expectations for for what Nebraska might be capable of, I certainly would have you know downgraded or discounted what I thought that those numbers could be without Mills. Um, and it's not so much 
I mean, it's a little bit his individual ability, but this is also just an offense where I think they want multiple options at running back. And when I, when I look at Maurice Washington for, for as good as he is, you know, he, I kind of hate to tra- traffic in these, these running back cliches, but I do have questions about is, is he a guy that you put back there and just give the workload that divine Zigbo had last year. And I don't know if I can answer yes to that with Mills. Um, it becomes a lot easier to say yes to that particular question because he basically did that as a, as a true freshman at Georgia tech. He did a lot of the dirty work. Uh, he was kind of there between the tackles guy and that, that flex bone attack. And he held up. Um, so that's all encouraging for Nebraska. If you've got Mills, you feel better. You know, if Washington's in the mix, you feel even a little bit better. And then it really frees them up to use whatever talented true freshmen show they're ready to ready and able to to play. Uh, that I would include Wandale Robinson, even at the slot, and someone like Renier Johnson in that group. Right. The way that I kind of looked at it was. Dedrick Mills was kind of the centerpiece to the puzzle that like connects everything because if you don't have him in the fold I kind of look at Maurice the same way you look at him in that he's more of a change of pace back that I would be more comfortable giving 12 carries a game than I would be giving 19, 18, 19, 20 a game um, Ramir Johnson is probably not a guy that you want to be working that hard in his freshman season and and Ronald Tompkins just got cleared to start running again so he's probably not going to be much of an option early on he's probably going to be a redshirt candidate so to have Dedrick I think it it kind of it it pieces everything together nicely because he can be um, the goal line guy he can be the short yardage guy he can be the guy that gets the bulk of your carries and then you can you can do all the things that you want to do with Maurice Washington and you can have um, those special packages for Wandell Robinson uh, or a guy like Miles Jones, as opposed to being like, okay, well now we have to run those guys, you know, six, seven times a game. Um, I think he kind of completes the room, I guess. Yeah, I, I would agree. You you need a guy like who's the guy you're going to give the ball to in a in a Michigan State type game where you know the conditions are against you a little bit it's it's not fun out there for anyone involved and it's it's largely a war of attrition now nebraska actually didn't run it that much in that game given the conditions but i I think the example still holds you're going to end up in some of those games in the big 10 um and in any conference really where it's just it's tough sledding out there And, and who's the guy you go to in those times, I, I think Mills has the potential to be that. What he was asked to do at, at Georgia Tech was not the fun part of the job, but he did it, and he did it pretty well. I mean, he was their leading rusher despite only playing in, in nine games. Right, and when I wrote the the kind of what does this mean story um, that went up on the website however many days ago, um, I, I touched on Adrian kind of being – maybe more of a factor in the run game this year because it seems like coaches have maybe hinted at being able to use him more. Um, so Marcus Mariota, had he, he averaged nine runs a game um, his Heisman Trophy winning season in 2014. Do you think they want Adrian to be lower than that, at that, or above that? I would say if he's at that, so basically about 10 attempts per game, you'd be pretty happy. I mean, I don't, I don't know how the coaches actually view it. From my view, I think it's 
you use him in that way as little as possible while still maximizing your, your potential as the offense, which, which seems kind of obvious, but like if Nebraska has to lean on Adrian Martinez to, to carry the ball 15 times a game because the running backs group, which is pretty young, is, is still gelling and coming together, um, why don't you just open yourself up to more injury risk, um, all of those things, fatigue, so I look at Adrian as, yes, this running back room does sort of point to a higher usage rate for him, perhaps. But I think ideally, you'd like it to be as low as you can. So if he's around nine per game, that seems like a pretty good number. Um, when you look at what Mariota was obviously capable of doing um, and then what those Oregon offenses actually did, you know, he's, he's a guy you would – everything else being perfect to guarantee there was no risk, you'd probably run him more than nine times a game. That they didn't, I think, tells you a little something about what's probably coming for Nebraska. I should have included this in the in the first part of the question, and this might seem um, maybe self-explanatory, but do, does Mills' arrival, does that impact um, Martinez's, I guess, need in the run game? I think hopefully it does. Um, you know, hopefully for Nebraska, he comes in and proves he's he's ready to get 10, 15, 18 carries a game, whatever it ends up being, however they split things up. Um, and you, you don't have to. I mean, there's there's going to be some of them where, and a lot of, some of it probably, some of Adrian's number depends on how teams choose to defend it because Nebraska is, is going to put, you know, defenders in conflict a lot of times and say, hey, choose choose the running back or choose Martinez and we're going to make you wrong no matter which one you choose well most of the time <laughs> even if the defense is wrong that guy's eventually still getting tackled so so that might be a little bit of it too and of course Nebraska can only control that by by how often it's it's willing to to let Martinez run even if he's only one of the two options definitely something to think about uh, and you got plenty of time too 100 days till football kicks off as of recording this, you got 100 days. I don't know when you're listening to it, but as of us recording, you got 100 days till Husker football. Brandon, you got work to do. Uh, thanks for giving us some time, man. My pleasure. Back to uh, opponent previews now. Back to opponent previews. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks. All right. It's a big day. Mike Babcock <laughs> making his podcast debut, sitting across from me. The Hill Varsity offices. Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Derek. I'm doing great. Happy to finally have you here. We tried to do this back when the baseball season first started, and we, there were just conflicts and conflicts and conflicts, and here we are at the end of the season. Nebraska baseball is in the Big Ten tournament. You are making your podcast debut. How do you I probably got lost coming down here. You know, let's let's tell the truth here. I probably just got screwed up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to throw you under the bus like that. Um, Let's talk about the baseball season as a whole. I want to kind of get your thoughts on um, just kind of their overall season. They started strong. Um, there was a lot of weather crap that happened early in the season. They went into that slump in mid-April. They closed strong. They just won. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. So on Wednesday night, they won their first game of the Big Ten tournament in big fashion, 8-2. Um, how are you going to remember this season? Because – Throughout, there was a lot of optimism, and then there was a lot of people wanting Darren Erstad gone, followed by more optimism. So how will you remember this season? Well, you know, I'm I'm not 
from a fan's point of view, I don't get excited about you know when things go wrong, and then the first suggestion is you got to get rid of the coach. And you know, I think that, uh, and I'm a little bit biased because I covered him when he played here, but I'm biased towards Darren Erstad. I think he's a perfect coach for this situation. Um, I think his experience as a as a college student, you know, he's a really good student in addition to being an outstanding baseball player. Um, had a successful major league career, um, and and I think it was Bill Moose the other day said, you know, he didn't need this job. Um, he does it because he wants to do it. He had the opportunity to interview for the Dodgers managerial job. I mean, he's got a great resume. Um, there's no question about that, and he understands the student athlete. And sometimes I, you know, I, I wonder if if that's always a good thing, <laughs> you know, because he knows what it's like, and. And um, and so he he handles his players in that way, and you know I think he's demanding, but I don't think he's unreasonable in the way he approaches things. So, you know, in that context, the way I'm going to remember it is is the way it has finished. You know, what happened at the end of the season and what happened at the beginning of the season, the middle part of it. You know, that's to me to some degree that's baseball, and and Nebraska. You know, even in the win. First first round win. Nebraska got eight runs, but only four hits. You know that's uh, they were still scuffling, um, regardless of how the score looks. Eight to two. Um, you get a good pitching effort from Matt Waldron, which across the course of the season, most of the time you got good starts from Matt Waldron. He had a little bit of a blip. All three of their starters have been fairly consistent, but have had their you know uh, blip on the radar kind of pitching performances. Um, and, but that's the way I'll look at it is this was a bunch of players that scuffled. You know, they, they got everything. I think he got everything out of them that he could because there was a good – there was a mix of young guys. Um, and it, it is a big change from high school. And, then and you know, their, their recruiting class was a top 20 nationally recruiting class. Um, but it takes some adjustment for, for young guys. And so some of that I would explain by that. You know, some of the dip was young guys still getting used to this situation. And sometimes the adrenaline's flowing. When you're playing, uh, starting out and you're losing four games to Oregon State and then you're playing Texas Tech and you're, da- you're at Baylor, I mean, the adrenaline's going. And when it was going like that and they win a couple of games at Baylor, and they beat Texas Tech, um, puts it on your resume. That's what he wanted to happen. Um, let's get that resume out there. And so the resume stayed with him, even though they had some problems. In the, and, you know, there were opportunities. Nebraska could have won the regular season in the Big Ten. Um, you look at it and say, well, there was one. They lose two walk-offs to Minnesota, so they're one and two against Minnesota, they're one and two against Northwestern, they're one and two against Iowa, um, one and two against Illinois. You pick up a couple of wins in those series, which they very well could have. That's the fine line, you know, again, and I'm saying what could have been and it wasn't. Right. Um, you could have won it, but, but they didn't. But they still had enough grit to come back after a 15 to six loss in the first game against Arizona State, a good Arizona State team. What, Arizona State hit eight home runs in those three games? Um, second in the country in home runs this year, Arizona State. 15-6 to six, the first game they lose, and they come back and they win two, including the second game 2-1. to one. 
Nate Fisher steps up. They get a good pitching performance. They win two to one. Then they play Michigan. They win the first two, and they lose the third one, but they lose the third one 10 to eight, which again shows that grit. They were scrapping right to the end. They didn't they didn't give up. And it was 10 to eight. Michigan had to do everything it could to get that win. And and so I look at the tournament, first round game, eight to four, only four hits and a critical error early on, but Nebraska makes them pay. You know, Altavilla hits a triple right after right after that error. They get a couple of runs and they get off to a good start. They get what uh, um, they by the third inning they've got they've got their eight runs and then good pitching uh, sort of sets them down. Uh, Minnesota kind of came on there, but uh, that grit. The way Erstad coaches, you know, that's what you have to do. That's how I'll remember this team. And I talked to Moose before uh, the end of that Michigan series, and I was just kind of asking him how he thought about the season, and he was really pleased with the season. And um, the thing that that Bill Moose talks about all the time is he wants Nebraska and all sports to be competing for conference championships. And at the end of the day, the, the very last game of their regular season, a win for Nebraska and they've put themselves in a position where they could potentially, you know, share the big 10 title. And that's what you want. So um, I'm with you. I thought some of the the stuff about Erstad was a little um, premature, a little strange. Um, You mentioned pitching a couple times after injury um, struggles, I guess, an inability to stay healthy um, a season ago that I think they had a really strong um, season on, on the mound this year. Were you surprised by that? Um, no, I wasn't to some degree because, uh, you, you know, your three starters are all seniors. Um, but you look at Nate Fisher, for example. You know, I think he was 1-7 last year or 1-1 one and, one and something, and his earned run average was over 7. And this year it's, you know, he just a little over 3 his earned run average is, and I think he was 6 and he's 6-3. and three. Um, You know, he really turned it around. Um, statistically um, so but you had three seniors the one thing that I, that I thought um, I thought Chad Lindsman you know he's coming off injury and he never did quite get back this year so they didn't really have him and going into the season I thought they'd have him and that would have been a big thing you know he might have been in that starting rotation but he didn't have the opportunity and he really didn't pitch very much this year and when he did he was having some control problems because his arm wasn't completely back so that was one guy that I thought well you know they're going to have him going into the season when they didn't when it looked like they weren't going to have him I thought well there's one thing that you know is going to call into question how successful they're going to be because I thought he was going to be a, a, a key player maybe the Friday night guy um, but uh, no I, I, I thought that the pitching uh, I thought they were going to come back if, uh, from what they had I thought pitching was going to be the thing at which it was um, the hitting was erratic and you know at this at tournament time um, Polinski I think is the only guy hitting over 300 right now um, but uh, they had some consistent like Alta Villa towards the end of the season he finally started to hit again and you know that's kind of a mystery because I think defensively he was he was uh, just uh, nailed it at third base. He had some great plays in those last two series. Um, but uh, the hitting is the thing that had not been consistent. The offense has not been consistent. And again, 
eight to four, you win with four hits. So this team seems like they're headed for the NCAA tournament. Do you have expectations for what they can do when they get there? You know, I I'd like to see them uh, win a game or two. Um, yeah, I think I think that the, the the fact that Nebraska won uh, the first game in in the Big Ten tournament, you you couldn't go two and out. That would have put them. And there would have been some concern about whether they were going to get that NCAA thing, but I think one of the projections going into the tournament was that they were a two seed, um, and and that again is a reflection of the schedule that they played, the non-conference schedule, third toughest non-conference schedule in the country. Um, changes a little bit when you get into the Big Ten because the Big Ten doesn't have that cachet, um, doesn't really affect you in a positive way necessarily. Because I think their overall schedule was like 46, so you can see where that where that goes. But uh, so winning at least a game, you know, not going 0 and 2 in the Big Ten tournament, that was important. Uh, they covered that, so I think that I think they're going to have an opportunity to play an NCAA regional. I'd like to see them win a couple of games. I mean, you know, again, I think they understand at this point in the season, this is not a team that can look beyond anything. You know that you—it's—it's it's really got to be a one game at a time kind of a thing. There's been no indication nowhere along the way have we seen anything would say, "Yeah, you can." You know, if, if you're matched up, uh, if you're a two seed and you're matched up against the three, a little better, you're in a better position. Uh, I think that's—I think that's not something that they look at. Um, so you got to scrap, and and can they scrap out a couple wins in a regional? Yeah, you know, I think maybe they can. Um, but uh, right now, I think they're probably looking at, hey, what what are we going to do against Iowa in the next game of the of the uh, Big Ten tournament? And then after that, what are we going to do and and take it that way? It it becomes a cliche because every coach talks about that, but I think Erstad just hammers away at that. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, if you talk to him as a reporter, that's what you're going to get. But I think it does reflect how this team is. Otherwise, I don't think they would have responded the way they did in those last two series. Hmm. Let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk football, something that you have done for a little bit of time. Yeah. Covered this team for a little bit. Um, Year two for Scott Frost. We just got out of spring ball. I've talked to to Greg at the beginning of the podcast, talked to Brandon um, just before you came on about expectations for this season. Um, I want to get there, but I want to start with your impressions of spring ball kind of what you I guess what did you see differences in the team's maybe mindset or the way that they talked or the, or the way that um, I guess you watched them I know there's not a ton to be gleaned from the spring game but did you see anything um, that looked different from year one with Scott Frost or did you see anything that um, gives you reason to expect that hey this this eight win thing that everybody keeps talking about is is realistic well, I, you know, I think that the I think the confidence that that they gained, and you know, people are going to want to get the yearbook and read your story. <laughs> That's going to be in the yearbook about what sort of changed things with with last year's team. Because I think that there is an element that carried over from a turning point a year ago um, to get that thing. You know, you start off zero and six. What do, what do you expect at that point? You expect probably just you're sliding right down that hill, and you're just going to keep sliding because at that point, you're halfway through. And where where have you seen anything positive? Um, on the outside, just looking at it, mm-hmm. where have you seen anything positive? You don't see anything like that. So, 
the same sort of change that enabled that team to go four and two down the stretch and be really scrappy. You know, there you talk about grit. There's a there's a group of guys that are gritty. Um, carries over into the spring. There's confidence. There's confidence there um, th- that wasn't there the first spring only because the first spring it's all new. You don't know what to expect. It's a new system. You don't know how these coaches are going to treat you. Um, there's just all kinds of things that go into the dynamic of a new coach, new coaching staff, a new system, strength coach, Dave Ellis and the nutrition people. It, it's all your life changes. And, and so how do you handle that? Now they've been through it. Those who, you know, it's either like grab on and follow us or get lost. People have gotten lost. You know, people have gotten off the train you know they're not there now um everybody is pulling in the same direction to some degree and And to add to that i've had a lot of people um or i had several players actually at the photo shoot that basically made that comment of we had a lot of bad apples before and now they're gone yeah and they weren't talking like that last season and they're i think they're a little bit more open right now about the the guys who weren't doing things the right way that needed to get out of the program that are now out of the program and i guess the openness kind of surprised me sorry i just wanted to add no that back to i think i think you're right derek because don't you think that if if you're in the midst of it your last season and you've got some guys that maybe don't belong there they're not pulling but they're your teammates you're you're not gonna you're not gonna publicly you're not gonna say anything about it you know it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a private thing it's gonna be behind the things Again, people are going to need to read the story that, that you wrote. Um, a lot of effort went into that, but um, it, it was there, but we didn't see it because they wouldn't let us see it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we know, and they can say it, and it's not like they've got a list and they're, you're checking them out. Well, this is the, here's the guys, you right. know. It's just that there were people, and now they're not there. And so that's a big thing. The other, the other thing is, and, you know, uh, Greg Austin talked about it. I'm sure all the position coaches would say the same thing, but it's like when he, he said, when we got here, we played guys where they had played because that's what they were used to. Now they've got a year. They know where guys fit better, and they move guys around, and that's where they're playing. So there's a comfort level there that didn't exist. The players – you can say how what you want about how hard you've studied the new system and how well you know it. You still have to go through it and do it, which they now have done. Um, and uh, they've seen the downside. You know, they've seen the dark side. It's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of fun. Right. Um, so let's get let's get going. And um, I think all those things come together to make a more to make more of an excitement. Uh, maybe excitement's not the word confidence is there um that hey we know what we're doing um we understand what the coaches expect of us the coaches understand us better and things just fall into place better now overall uh, from the outside looking at it if i'm a fan you know spring is always it's a great time you know because you're undefeated and you can be i compare it to recruiting you know you can be as good as your imagination wants you to be uh, and it's probably this way at most schools, right, except for the most depressed places. Right. Um, in the spring, it's all good. You know, it happens every spring. It's excitement. Um, 
from the outside, but I think that there's a reason for some of that, um, just looking at the way the team is. I think there's reason for optimism. The thing that the that I would regard against is saying, well, you know, they're going to win the Big Ten West and they're going to be in the championship game. There, You know, could that happen? It could happen. I mean, I'm not saying that it couldn't, but, you know, let's don't get too far afield here. Let's, let's, let's let things come together. Let's give them a little bit of a – let's give them a little bit of leeway there, right. which – I think again from the outside we're not inclined to do because this is Scott Frost. You know they went from six and six, and before that, no wins, to thirteen and zero, and and uh, look what they did there. Why not here? Right. Well, it's a little different thing here. That was my next question. Do you do you have a win total in your head that you think that they're gonna they're gonna be at this year? Have you thought much about that yet? Uh, you know I've I've been at the eight win total. Um, initially uh, from probably before spring began um, as at, at the high end you know what my expectation would be really to be seven and five and get in a bowl game I think that's that's progress some people would say six and six is not progress they were four and eight six and six in a bowl game that would be progress um, I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be better than that. But um, I think eight is a reasonable way to look at it. Um, if, if you sit down and just say, well, I think they could win this game and this game and this game, it probably could be better than that. Yeah. Uh, but I think realistically eight wins is, is, a, is, a, is a reasonable expectation, and it does mean a decent bowl game. That's something that, uh, you know, it's getting into a bowl game. Right. Um, used to be that uh, that was just taken for granted. You know, this is not Tom Osborne. This is not, well, we can expect at least nine wins in a bowl every year. Um, kind of a thing. We've got we got some steps to take, and I think that uh, I think Scott and his staff can do that. But uh, let's don't get too too far afield here. Let's let's give them a little bit of a um, what's the word I want to say here? A little bit of a cushion and some respect for the amount is this a easy job this is not an easy thing to accomplish you look where nebraska was and where you know what happened last season give them some give them an opportunity to to move down the line and and uh, stay with them which i think husker fans will that's one of the things that was good about scott and his staff coming here was that finally i think we've gotten the majority a significant majority of Husker fans pulling in the same direction. You know, for a long time there, it was a split fan base, I'm, I'm convinced. And I think that that's one of the things. You have to be pulling in the same direction, for one thing, because if this is, you know, this is Nebraska, you've got the sellout streak and whatever. Um, and I think you really have, Tom Osborne has to be on board with what you're doing. And it has been a while since Tom Osborne was really on board with what was going on here. Uh, even when he was athletic director, I don't think it was to the degree that it is now. So I think that's important. It's definitely something Scott Frost has talked about a lot since coming back, that kind of unity within the fan base and unity of purpose with everybody. I think he's mentioned a couple times uh, that he wouldn't have come back if the, the administration wasn't all pulling in the right direction. And that's kind of um, – he feels like they, they've got time to build this thing right. So, uh, Mike – 
you got to go. You got stuff to do. Um, Big Ten baseball coming up, and as long as Nebraska keeps playing, um, you'll keep having thoughts on them. So appreciate you uh, coming in to, as I've said many times, I'm just really excited about this. Make your podcast debut. And uh, now that you broke that seal, we're going to have you on uh, a lot more. There's cheering going on outside our office. Interesting. Um, keep it with HailVarsity.com throughout the weekend. Like I said, uh, in the open, Aaron and Kyle are in Omaha at the Big Ten Baseball Tournament. Um, we've got NCAA Tournament Baseball coming up soon. Obviously, plenty of recruiting updates from Greg Smith, and, and, and we'll have plenty of stuff. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. So, thanks, guys.